0: Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back. If you're listening to the podcast, you wouldn't notice anything's new. But if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that we've got a brand new setup. (laughs) Anthony's fiddled with the lighting with a little bit. I mean, you said your mom was into photography. He's, He's a natural, I gotta say. But we got the studio set up. We'll probably continue to fine tune the visuals as we go through, but we've got ourselves a new camera. We figured it's a little bit more organic. This isn't the times of COVID anymore. Why are we doing these Zoom meetings? Why are we doing these Zoom recordings when we're in here? I mean, sometimes there's even just a whole studio. And we'll record some episodes with a wall between us over Zoom. So (laughs) it feels a little bit more organic. So like I said, check it out on YouTube. It's looking great. It's feeling fun. And leave any suggestions you have for the set down below. We'd love to maybe implement some of them. But... I think that's all the housekeeping we've got out of the way. Welcome back to the wacky world of energy. This will be probably the first episode for the month of April. We're going to try and get out two a month. If not, there will at least be one every month, but we've got lots of good news coming out and we're excited to talk about it. Should we start with first article?
1: Oh, man, it's a doozy, isn't it? I think
0: so. Let me make sure I got the right one pulled up here. But (laughs) article number one for today's episode, this is from Zero Hedge. We've talked about him a little bit. He's big on Twitter, writes a little bit for oil price, but this is from his website, published April 1st. Saudi Arabia joins Shanghai military and security bloc as it embraces China. While the U.S. continues to splinter and cannibalize itself as it turns into a third world country, China is expanding its zone of economic and military influence that covers virtually all global commodity producers as it prepares for the next stage of the Sino-U.S. Cold War. I mean, I think the best thing I can do, I'll throw the map up right here on the screen from the article just to illustrate... I think it was you who sent a tweet to me. It showed, no, someone else on LinkedIn. They showed the trade influence of the United States from 2000 and then 2020. And it's shifting from the United States to China. Mm, They're becoming everyone's best buddy.
1: Yeah. And you can find a lot of, you can find a handful of articles on mainstream or Google some stuff about, you know, Saudi Arabia joining the, you know, Shanghai cooperation organization Mm -hmm. okay what they are downplaying here is that it's basically a nato equivalent yes it's not just we trade with each other right okay it's also a security alliance yes right and so what we have to remember here is one of the big reasons that the petrodollar system works so well was because a huge component of it was hey saudi will provide you some protection, right? We talked about this in our last episode as China has gone in and they have went to uh, broker priests throughout the Middle East. Yay. <laughs> and, and then how it would require less need of a U.S. military presence. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, now, just this last week, right, within a week of this recording, um, it was, what was it? It was Wednesday, last Wednesday, a week ago from now, right? So that would have been, what, the 29th of March?
0: Yeah, well, if today is the
1: 5th, that would have been the 29th of March. The Nailed 29th it. of March. That Saudi Arabia's cabinet approved a decision to join the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Okay? All right? This is a huge deal. Okay? The SCO, or the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, is a political and security union of countries. Security. Military. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. They need us less and less. Right. And now not only have they joined an economic partnership, but also a security alliance. Right. So for us to go in there and try and stir stuff up would be the equivalent of declaring war on China, probably. So we really are in a spot here where we've got more and more people talking about not having to use the US dollar to settle in oil and gas trades. Now you have this country that for 50 years, Saudi Arabia, the head of OPEC, we provided security for them. It appears that they don't really care about us providing security. I mean, this goes to lots of things. Look at our uh, absolutely disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan in 2021. Yep. They're looking at this like these guys are going to protect me? Yeah. Are you kidding me?
0: Got to start looking elsewhere. They can't
1: even figure out how to pull out of a country. Mm-hmm. And you got people hanging off planes. You leave billions of dollars of equipment there and cash and all these other assets for, for, for the Taliban to just go start using. Yep. And you're looking at this as Saudi Arabia and you're thinking, are you kidding me? I'm <laughs> going like, to need something more effective. <laughs> I need bit something more, a bit more reliable than this. And, uh, these guys are a bunch of clowns. Mm hmm. These people running the United States of America are a bunch of clowns. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm not saying it. The rest of the world is saying it. Okay. Mm -hmm. But it's going to have a very direct implication on us as U.S. citizens. Okay. It's going to have a very direct implication on us in the U.S. oil and gas production and exploration industry. Mm -hmm. Okay. All these things, the chickens are coming home to roost everybody. Oh, yeah. All right. This is a huge deal. In the mainstream, they talk about oh, you know, Saudi and this and that. You know, they they don't really talk a whole lot about it. It's they don't really want to largely advertise how onerous this is for our country, how potentially dangerous this is for yep. everything we're used to doing with our trade alliances and our security alliances. This whole thing's unraveling right now, right? I mean, this was formed in two thousand and one, mm-hmm. right? This has been around for a while, like the BRICS have been around for a while. All right. And, you know, joining the SCO was discussed during a visit by Chinese President Xi Jinping to Saudi Arabia last December. Okay. I mean, the decision followed an announcement by Saudi Aramco, which raised its multi billion dollar investment in China on Tuesday by finalizing a joint venture in Northeast China by acquiring a stake a privately controlled petrochemical group. This is probably in reference to the $12 billion or $10 billion refinery that they're building is in China. Yep. Right? So now they're part of the security block, as well as their economic block, right? They're building a multi-billion dollar refinery in China. I guarantee you every single barrel of Saudi oil that goes through that is going to be traded in Yuan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I guarantee you mm-hmm. and it will not have anything to do with the U.S. dollar. Not at all.
0: You're right, and I think what you said earlier, just to emphasize it, this isn't just trade, this is security as well. And I'm going to put this map up again because the landmass and the population is crazy. As far as member states, we have China, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Russia, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, India, Pakistan, and as observer states, Afghanistan, Belarus, Iran, Mongolia, and many other dialogue partners and guest attendances. And, I mean, it covers almost all of Asia except except for the Southeast portions, those islands out there. I mean, the Philippines, uh, anything with South Korea, Japan, that's not going to be included. But as far as that central landmass is mm-hmm. almost all colored by people uh-huh. participating in this. And that's yeah. too big to ignore at this too point. Too
1: big, too big. Yeah. I mean, I'm just gonna, I'm going to read here. Kind of like the way this guy writes, cause he kind of writes, you know, if you don't know about zero hedge, you can find him. He's pretty well known in the internet community. Um, not, Part of the traditional press or anything, but he's pretty well informed on most cut topics that I've ever read. And uh, this is coming from his article. It is her words, not ours. Uh, Rita's growing ties with uh, Beijing have raised security concerns in Washington, its traditional ally, but increasingly less so, especially following Biden's catastrophic attempts to force OPEC Plus to boost over uh, oil production, an overture which backfired spectacularly and to global humiliation by the Biden administration. Meanwhile, Washington says Chinese attempts to exert influence around the world will not change U.S. policy toward the Middle East, which, of course, is a lie. (laughs) Saudi Arabia and other Gulf states have voiced concern about what they see as a withdrawal from the region by main security guarantor, the United States. And we have moved to diversify partners, shifting and have moved to diversify partners, shifting their alliance to the biggest U.S. challenger in the global arena. Washington says it will stay an active partner in the region. (laughs) Countries belonging to the organization plan to hold a joint counterterrorism exercise in Russia's uh, I don't even know how to say that <laughs> part of Russia um, in in August of this year, and and uh, I'm going to point that out. a, a Counterterrorism exercise, um, easy to laugh at as soon as you read it, but yeah, why? Uh, because there's a growing body of evidence that a number of global uh, terrorist attacks around the uh, around the world have been spearheaded by the United States deep state CIA mm-hmm. operation. Right? They what they don't want is they don't want some thing that is being. You know, done over you know some some terrorist attack in the Middle East, and Iran starts blaming Saudi Arabia or vice versa they they, they want to all stay cohesive. This is why they're going to have a a i mean, I don't know this, but it would <laughs> seem pretty obvious that that's why they're going to do counterterrorism exercises, mm-hmm. right because the United States is probably not going to explicitly go in there and declare war, oh, of course not, right, but if they can stir up some unrest and rattle this organization from within, they'll try. And, and the thing of it is, I don't begrudge our country for wanting to try and do things in its interest, but the reality is the rest of the world seems beyond the game, everybody. So you might need to figure out a new playbook and you might need to figure it out fast. Good old fashioned diplomacy is a time-tested thing and it's been used for thousands of years to avert larger catastrophes. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day... The more we keep trying to play the playbook we've been doing for 50 years getting comfortable fat and happy doing all these things we do it's not working okay Mm -hmm. it's not working the rest of the world's starting to say no 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 no." so i mean these people are on alert okay they're on alert that they need to clan up and they are claning up in trade and security organizations now simultaneously and they're even calling out that they don't want to deal with any terrorism okay so they they their spidey senses are on full alert right now, right? They're not just clanning up, but they're want to make sure that they all are very coordinated and nobody jumps to conclusions within that group. Something weird were to happen, right? Regardless of who's the culprit. Right. So United States, yeah, better we we better up our diplomacy game here real freaking fast because yeah. I mean I the world is certainly starting to be like, you know, I don't know what I gotta really worry about here. If we just say we're gonna do what's in our interest, yep. And we're gonna clan up together. That's what's happening. It's happening right now, mm-hmm. right? And and you know this 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 uh this can tee up our next article here. Oh absolutely. Um, it's a Reuters article. What what is it what we got going on here, Tabs? This was
0: published on the fourth of this month titled Why Did OPEC Cut Oil Production? Key reasons explained. And of course we get into some key reasons. And I don't know if you want to save this reason for the end or slip it in right now, uh, but ahead. that tweet yesterday well, it was a thread you sent, and it was the fact that this may have something to do with the US SPR. If you look at the benchmarks of where oil has been trading and what key decisions have been made, it stays away from that, I believe it was 65 to $72 range that Washington said it would work to refill the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. So each time the prices get lower, there's been a key decision that you know doesn't shock markets but certainly persuades the price to come back up a little bit as if the people making those changes didn't want the U.S. to have that backup emergency oil. I'll definitely link that one in the description, too, because we don't have it here in our articles today, but it's a very interesting Twitter thread, and it almost raises some scary implications about why do they want to make sure we don't have enough oil in our back pocket for perhaps a real emergency, but otherwise... That's a little bit off on the fringe side. We'll get back to more of what Reuters has to say. There's concerns about weak global demand. So Saudi Arabia has said voluntary output cuts of 1.66 million barrels per day on top of their existing 2 million barrels per day. Cuts were made as a precautionary measure aimed at supporting what they said, market stability. Now, they overall decided to cut 3.66 million barrels per day, which is significant is about 3.7% of global demand if we're still consuming about 100 million barrels per day. So Russian Deputy Prime Minister Alexander Novak said the Western banking crisis was one of the reasons behind the cut as well as interference with market dynamics, a Russian expression to describe a Western price cap on Russian oil. So there's fears of fresh banking crisis over the past month They've led to investors to sell out of risk assets such as commodities with oil prices falling to near seventy dollars per barrel per barrel from near all time highs of one hundred and thirty-nine in March of twenty twenty two. Now, as of the very past few days, the price has risen back to about eighty dollars per barrel, but is that where we're set to stay for a bit? Hmm, no, if we
1: just break out that crystal ball. Right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Hey, tell me where oil prices are going so I can make some money yeah. real quick. <laughs>
1: Well, and I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna kind of just pay attention to what they've been saying for months. OPEC, being they, particularly Saudi. Look, they've already called out the planet to say global capex is about half of what it was ten years ago. We're not quite sure if the oil supplies are going to be there in the future. Now you've got all these Western countries with these green. Decarbonization la la plans, and and you have a perfect test case. You think these guys in Saudi are that stupid? Really? They've seen this push for green in Europe for over about 20 years, and what do you get? Still a huge reliance on hydrocarbons. That didn't go away, everybody. It didn't go away at all. And so I think, and this is just me, and this is just paying attention to what they're saying. That believe it or not, it is possible that they're sitting over here like all oh, you people in these Western nations with your green rainbows and lollipops and unicorns. These plans to do these things by the year twenty thirty or the year twenty thirty five or the is unrealistic. Like it, it, it's not realistic. They're looking at this like. You know, Europe tried this and they need, still need hydrocarbons pretty darn bad, even after all this green investment. They could likely be sitting back thinking to themselves, <laughs> wait a minute. So if we have the Western politicians and media and their whole machine just artificially suppress oil prices because they're starting to call it out that some of these oil prices don't seem to be in line. They've said that the market seemed like it has schizophrenia. Mm. Okay. They're sitting back and they're thinking, if we let these Yahoos continue this game, the reality is that they all still need these hydrocarbons. So what happens in ten years when there's an actual legitimate shortage? United States is gonna go to war mm-hmm. to go secure more oil. It's been historically true in the it past. It has been historically true in the past. And it's not gonna change unless people decide to go back to the pre-industrial era in every developed nation within the next five years, that's not going to change, mm-hmm. okay? They, I think, are actually trying to prevent a larger problem five, 10, 15 years down the road. Because at the end of the day, the planet is still using about 100 million barrels a day. And of the United States, 12 million barrels a day, half of that if not more could start on a decline rate of 10 to 20 percent per year these horizontals if they don't drill enough of them that decline is going to start catching up and we certainly haven't been
0: for the past two years and also depleting the duck inventory so i think you're right it's
1: it's definitely a strategy to deal with it as you kick the can down the road but i think they, their memories are long enough. Look, oh, yeah. I was in the military in the early 2000s, all right? I didn't go overseas, but I've remembered distinctly all of the wars in the 90s and the early 2000s in the Middle East about, let's at the end of the day, it wasn't about weapons and mass destruction that weren't there. It was about securing oil alliances, period. Why Because that was before the shale revolution in the United States. The United States in 2008 only made about 5 million barrels a day, but consumed a lot more than that between 15 and 20. I don't remember the demand numbers from that period of time, but we needed to import a lot more oil than we do now. And so as a result, there was always some U.S. interference militarily out there in the Middle East. They don't want to go back to that. They don't want to set up the stage where that's what happens again, because these politicians run every two to six years. They don't, and some of them are in their 80s, right? They aren't going to pay the price for the stupid decisions today, 10 years from now. But these nations over in the Middle East might pay it. They don't want to set up for that. Maybe, just maybe, they see the writing on the wall, and they're trying to say, no, 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 time out. This is a bunch of, this is BS, guys. Oil should not be below $70. And you know what? You said, you being the Biden administration, you told the whole world, you told us, you told your own industry, you told everybody that if oil dropped between $67 and $72 a barrel, you'd refill the reserve, Mm -hmm. right? Well, you got your wish and your response was, "Mm, yeah, it's going to take a long time to do that. It's not really a good time. Are you freaking kidding me? Sounds like me when I get to be a greedy trader. Oh, it just gets a yeah. little cheap. Uh, you know? we, our we'll energy sector – our energy secretary, moron <laughs> Granholm, gets on there and says, no, nah, we can't We can't really do – that." look, you can lie to your constituents. You can lie to your countrymen. You can lie to your own industry that you told them something that you're not going to do. You can't lie to a block of nations anymore, and let they aren't going to let you get away with this anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't need to. They're all getting together.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think they're realizing how powerful they can be. Because, yes. I mean, in this paragraph here, tensions with Washington. Washington is called the latest move by OPEC plus inadvisable. <laughs> well, at this point, what are you going to do? Because it
1: makes life hard for them.
0: Yeah. And now we have all of Asia saying, well, tough titty. This is what we're yeah, going to do.
1: It's just absolute... And of course, oil prices rebound after the OPEC Plus announces the production cuts. Yeah, they did rebound. Mm-hmm. I mean, oil's actually been on quite a little bull tear in the last four or five weeks. We dropped bottomed down sixty-five bucks a barrel. Yeah, and now, boom, already back up to eighty. Yep, another fifteen dollars rise, and you're right under a hundred. Mm-hmm. Ninety-five is man, and and you know, the <laughs> they. They have even said that they are skeptical of the International Energy Administration data. They being Saudi have Mm -hmm. come out and said the IEA data, they're not so sure about it. Where do you think the IEA gets their U S data from, but the EIA Mm -hmm. that we constantly look at every week for inventory levels and production numbers, import and all this stuff. Basically, Saudi Arabia has come out and said that they are questioning the validity of the government data from the International Energy Administration, which is the equivalent and tantamount to saying we don't trust the NATO government data around energy anymore either. We don't even trust y'all's government data. Mm-hmm. Good We're going to gonna make our own moves.
0: Mm-hmm. And I mean, when you think of the amount of change that could be Pretty easily shifted through just Western Europe and the United States, you know, smirching a few numbers in the books. That could have devastating implications for a lot of these countries whose primary method of making money for themselves and their people is selling oil and gas. So it's a touchy subject. They're coming together. And, well, I guess if we take it to our next article, we're Mm. expanding past Asia at this point. Mm, It's intercontinental. (laughs) This is an article from Barron's published right at the end of last month on the 29th China and Brazil to strike a deal to ditch the dollar for trade oh China and Brazil have reached a deal to trade in their own currencies ditching the US dollar Mm. as an intermediary the Brazilian government said on well at the end of last month. The deal will enable China, the top rival to US economic hegemony, and Brazil, the biggest economy in Latin America, to conduct their massive trade and financial transactions directly, exchanging yuan for reals and vice versa instead of going through the dollar. Now just to give you a sort of idea of magnitude. China is Brazil's largest trading partner with a record $150.5 billion in bilateral trade last year. Mm. So not only do we have the demand for the dollar decreasing in oil trades, but the demand for the dollar decreasing is a federal reserve currency. Well, why use the middleman? Let's just use our own currencies. Let's make a demand for that ourselves. And Hey, it benefits us and mm-hmm. doesn't benefit a common, perhaps not enemy, but person who's been throwing their weight around too much lately.
1: Yep. Yeah, no, these things just keep on adding up, keep on adding up. And you know, by the the things that I'm reading and that I'm saying, it could be Mexico before you know it.
0: I believe that. And uh, in the past, I mean, is Trudeau, he's had a pretty decent
1: relationship with China. No, I'm probably thinking
0: of Newsom. Well, you know, they're all corrupt. <laughs> we won't go into that <laughs> too much. I mean, we
1: already all know this is the truth. But you know, look, at the end of the day, we also get a lot of oil that we bring in from Mexico. Yes. Right. And the Mexican president is not very happy with the United States right now. No. Not at all. And he's very seriously considering, and his country is very seriously considering, joining the BRICS alliance as well. Okay? So, there you go. I mean, if Mexico aligns with the BRICS... this is almost similar to, I mean, you got somebody, right, sharing a border with you that is on the the enemy's team.
0: Yeah. Right? I mean, that's a Shanghai Cooperation Council
1: friend knocking mm-hmm. right at your door. Yeah. Yeah, so you better get ready. United States, a good old-fashioned diplomacy. I mean, I don't know why the State Department, you know, this isn't what I do. <laughs> but let me just tell you something. You're doing business. You still got to do the same basic principles. You got to go out and you got to talk to people. You got to try and make arrangements that work for multiple parties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we don't have people from the state department down in Mexico right now, trying to talk them off the ledge here and say, no, no, no. We're still part of, you know, we can still trade together. We can still be buddies. So no,
0: I mean, we didn't do it in the middle East. God. We haven't done it with South America. We haven't done it with the rest of Asia. Unfortunately, I'm doubtful. We start with Mexico, but I hope I'm wrong. I think it would be a, Great idea to get down there and start repairing relations, constructive dialogue exactly rather it's, than some oh, you're our politicians
1: <laughs> threatening about sending the freaking U.S. military down there to deal with the cartels mm-hmm. yeah. to
0: only further reinforce the sort of idea that the whole world has of the United States right now. Yeah, I mean, we
1: just go in and tell you how you need to be, you know,
0: because we have the exorbitant privilege of having control of that dollar. Never yeah, said. what what economist said that? I got to read into it more, the exorbitant privilege. Oh, I want to think it was Alan Greenspan. Not am need sure to it
1: more. Love that phrase. Yeah. Yeah, no, we've got you know, I mean this thing is just spreading, man. It's spreading like fire this mm. whole thing. These the whole world is lining up against NATO and the United States particularly.
0: Oh, yeah, because it only benefited the members there and they didn't want to let in other people. They would yeah. rather tell them how they should be conducting benef- business to
1: benefit NATO in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, it's just people are done with dealing with the dollar and then all the games that come off of that, like. They have to hold dollars so that they can trade in oil and energy. And then because they have to hold dollars, if the Federal Reserve decides to increase interest rates, it directly impacts them. It rails through their economy just like a whipsaw. It creates havoc in their banking system. It creates havoc in their own domestic inflation rates. It does all kinds of things. It makes it very challenging for them. And, you know, what we're talking about here is we're talking about, look, BRICS, for everybody who doesn't know, again, it stands for uh, Brazil russia india china and south south africa Africa. right but you're going to be adding you're going to be adding more to this list Mm -hmm. you're going to be potentially adding mexico to this list you're going to be potentially adding more african nations to this list right look this is just alliances that are growing up you know to challenge the status quo the status quo being what we've basically had since the end of World War II mm-hmm. as far as NATO, North, North Atlantic trade organization, right? NATO, that's the it's also a military thing. So it's yep. just basically the Shanghai Cooperation same Organization <laughs> is the exact same concept. Modeled probably very similar off of NATO, but it is NATO's opposite. As far as who's in the club and who's the cool kids in that club, right? So these things are are very much worth watching and, and, and do very much impact people in our industry and pretty much every single citizen of this country.
0: Yep. And I think all these stories can be nicely wrapped up. I mean, we focused a lot on the international aspect of things today.
1: Might be... Oh,
0: it's about the same length as episodes have been in the past, but this last article ties it up nicely. China and Russia look to challenge the petrodollar. It's from Oil Price, Mm. published on the 4th, just a day before we recorded this episode. And, I mean, yeah, there's going to be BRICS. They may even have to change the name and consider the Shanghai Cooperation. But really, at the top of whatever this organization is going to be, is probably Russia and China, two burgeoning economies with fantastic access to natural resources, raw commodities, and stock to manufacture things. That's going to be the biggest economic challenge, I will say. Right at the top of the article, we have these bullet points. The U.S. dollar, which has been the currency of choice in oil trade since the 1970s, is still the dominant currency in the market. While the Chinese currency has made inroads in global trade, the yuan accounts for just 2.7% of the market. Several deals and summits in recent weeks signaled that China and Russia are moving to try and sideline the U.S. dollar. And you can check out one of the most recent episodes of Monday Madness. It was right at the start of this month. But I talked about how, what, France, Total Energies, is settling mm. LNG contracts in Yuan. Uh, what we just talked about was South America, Brazil specifically deciding to settle in Yuan and Reals. I mean, this it's not just here and there. There's been many, many instances in the past month of China and people in the Middle East and Russia going, hey, why don't you settle up in our currency? But it almost always trades back to the yuan or the ruble, which if that grows (laughs) to take a larger portion of market trades, then I think uh, our economy will look very different in just a matter of 10, 20 years even.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, and a lot of people, they keep trying to minimize this when they say, uh, the Yuan only accounts for two point seven of the market. Two point seven percent of the market. Yeah, that's true. Okay. And then other other numbers in here, while the Chinese currency has made inroads in global trade, it just accounts for two point seven of the market. Compared to the US dollar share, forty-one percent. Moreover, the US dollar accounted for more than fifty-eight percent of global currency reserves as of the end of twenty twenty two, compared to two point seven percent share for the Chinese Yuan. Okay? So Everybody pretty much looks at those numbers and thinks, ah, US dollars fine. I mean, maybe we lose a little bit. First of all, stop being so comfortable in what you know for the last 50 years. Because in case you're not paying attention, it doesn't look like the Chinese are trying to make the yuan the US dollar. That is not what they are trying to do. So that comparison is absolutely ridiculously... It's mentally stupid. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but it's just a stupid... Oh, well, you know, the U.S. has so much... It has so much of a percentage of the reserve currency of the world, and who's going to challenge that? Maybe, just maybe, if you're paying attention, that's not what the Chinese and the Russians are trying to do with one currency. What they're trying to do is they're trying to make it okay for all of them to exchange in each other's currencies. And the only thing that the yuan is doing here is it's acting as an intermediary settlement. It is not even the yuan that's supposed to be the global currency here. It's the yuan that's going to be what is denominating the contract out of Shanghai that is backed With gold, Mm -hmm. okay? When you back it with gold, if people believe that, they will use that settlement mechanism. They
0: will do it. But what about the U.S. dollar? I heard that was backed with gold. I'm sure some of our users (laughs) might be asking.
1: (laughs) The United States, according to statistics, has the biggest gold reserves of any country in the world. That being said, nobody's ever audited it. Not even allowed to. Nobody really knows what's in Fort Knox, for example. Mm. It's a national security secret. I mean, apparently, as of 1970, the United States had all the gold backing its currency until the French decided to repatriate some of their gold because they saw the United States spending money on the Vietnam War. And then once all the repatriation requests started happening in too much scale, what did we do? We we closed the gold window, August 15th, 1971, and have since just said, Eh, Well, the U.S. dollar will be backed by U.S. debt. But after about three years of that, the Middle East said, no, 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 we're going to have to reprice oil in U.S. dollars. And in 1974, Kissinger came in and said, no, 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 no. price all the oil in U.S. dollars. That's, That's the birth of the petrodollar system. So that required a synthetic demand globally for 50 years of all these foreign institutions and governments holding US dollars, which means US treasuries. If there's less of a foreign need for countries and sovereign wealth funds and all these large corporations to hold US treasuries to do the settlement in US dollars, then all of a sudden, we have a drop in demand for US treasuries. That drop in demand can lead to an increase in interest rates and that increase in interest rates is what can bankrupt corporations, individuals, even governments, Mm -hmm. because they have too much debt. All of our adversaries know this. They know this a lot better than we're talking about it. I can promise you that. Oh yeah. And so all they need to do is create enough players out there that aren't having to hold us treasuries to settle in energy. Because everybody's buying and selling energy. If you want to be a modern economy, you have to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And it isn't about wind turbines and solar panels, everybody. It's about cubic feet and barrels that's and tons of coal, right? But the big hitter is oil and gas. Yeah. No doubt about it. So if you create this spreading thing out there where all these different nations are now saying, you know what? Wait a minute. We don't have to hold U.S. Treasuries to buy the oil and gas that we want. We don't have to hold U.S. Treasuries to sell the oil and gas we have to sell. Look, once that spreads, foreign demand for U.S. debt goes down. Mm -hmm. Once that happens, everything that we import, people might start saying, wait a minute, maybe we need to reprice what the United States dollar is buying from us. Instead of it being so many dollars for a pair of shoes or a TV or a barrel of oil, maybe it's going to have to be more Mm -hmm. because they're creating so much of it now out of thin air, that we should ask for more of those dollars. And this is what we call inflation. And to think that this thing can't get worse is naive. No. Because it can get a lot worse. And it's- We could be looking, I mean, look, if you think it's impossible for you oil to be priced $200 U.S. a barrel or higher before this is all done, then you need to study your history a little bit because I'll tell you this much. In 1970, oil was priced $3.68 a barrel. Before we got to the Paul Volcker days in the early 80s and increased interest rates and did all this stuff, oil topped out near $40 a barrel. That's a 10x increase. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's a very significant thing. And I'm not saying that I know oil is going to $200 U.S. a barrel. Yeah, this is not trading advice. This is not trading advice, but I know this much. Everything we import is going to get a lot more expensive the less people hold U.S. Treasuries and the more countries that can go out there and settle in energy without having to hold U.S. Treasuries for the liquidity needs of doing these settlements means the foreign demand for U.S. debt goes down. Foreign demand goes down. Somebody's going to have to fill the void. Otherwise, interest rates spiral out of control, and every corporate bond that comes up, they can't redo it. They can't. Re- they can't roll it. They'll bankrupt them. All right. And so that's the reality of what we're playing with right here. This is a very, very, very serious situation. And what are we worried about? We're worried about? I don't even want to go into the other stuff that we're all seeing on the mainstream (laughs) media because it's just, yeah. You've heard it all already, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. You already know what you're hearing about. You already know what they're telling you are your problems. But you know what? This is your problem. Mm -hmm. This is your problem because everything you're used to in this country as far as what your dollar buys you, I mean, you have the president of Kenya coming out here within the last week telling his people that if you do numbers and you're in the U S dollar, you might want to get rid of U S dollars because in a couple of weeks, this market is going to change in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Sounds ominous. It sounds to me that, and this is just, we'll see how this ages, Mm -hmm. but I think that within the next month or two, We will see something along the lines of Saudi Arabia saying they're going to reprice oil in U.S. dollars or that they're going to actually explicitly do settlements to China in yuan, right? Any one of those things can very rapidly spiral out of control the price of energy priced in U.S. dollars, especially oil. Gas, maybe not so much because we're the kingpin with gas production. There's no doubt about that. But with oil, while we are still the largest oil producer in the world, we still need to import a lot more than we produce. And a lot of the stuff we do produce, we don't even have the refining complex to totally handle it. Mm -hmm. We send the stuff, that light, sweet crude, a lot of that gets sent over to Asia and India to be refined into diesel and gasoline. We don't refine that stuff here. Our refiners as a system, as a cohort, are pretty much geared to deal with the heavier stuff. So this is a very real thing mm-hmm. and you know i wish people would be talking more about this but i guess you know maybe that's the one thing we can do we can sit here and we it's a
0: dirty job it. but someone's got to do it that's right i think you're right though i mean we're not there yet it hasn't happened yet but to think that it couldn't is naive i mean i'm just going to pull yeah. two quotes from the article here putin himself said We support the use of the Chinese yuan in payments between Russia and countries of Asia, Africa, and Latin America. This is coming from the guy who's used the Chinese currency as his only alternative to reducing his exposure to the U.S. dollar and the euro, which were only controlled, well, only used to control him through sanctions. So if these people can break away from that, play by their own rules, and stop being called third world countries or developing countries by people who don't really understand what's going on there, then... There will be a lot of change, but I mean, I think we've beat the hell out of this dead horse, huh? Got yeah, anything else to say before time. we leave? No, I think we need
1: <laughs> to just get off or get ramped up again. I don't need to do that right now. So. Alrighty,
0: righty. Well, thank you for joining us, everybody.
1: Like I said. We got this new studio set up. If you've
0: listened, I highly encourage you to go ahead and just check it out on YouTube. You know, if you're at work, throw it up on your second monitor, pull it up on your phone and listen to it. Tell your boss it's professional development. They can't get mad at that because after all, we are talking about the energy market. We are talking about geopolitics, trading, all of these things. This will continue to come out through not only this segment, but the rest. So please be sure to subscribe. Frack the subscribe button. Frack the follow button. Do whatever you got to do because we do the heavy lifting and we put out this free information and all you got to do is sit there and listen to it. This has been Tavis Killian and Anthony McDaniels with Rare Petro. And until we see you next time, take care, everybody.
1: See ya.